I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 323 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I have got a very special guest with me here today. Legendary boxing trainer Teddy Atlas joins me on the podcast, and his career goes all the way back to working with Hall of Fame trainer Customato. Teddy himself trained such fighters as Mike Tyson, Michael Moore, and so many others over the course of his career. He has got a very recognizable voice, and he has been a boxing commentator for a very long time. Used to do the Friday night fights. Uh, he is also the voice of a very popular video game series, Fight Night. Uh, he did Fight Night Round 4, Fight Night Champion. Uh, Teddy's a New York City guy. I have been a fan of his for a very long time. Uh, he is somebody that has always been involved with giving back to the community, helping the inner city youth. It's just an honor for me to have him here with me today. So uh, Teddy Atlas will be here in just a few minutes. So please stick around for the interview. And if you are a boxing fan like I am, please jump back to episode 305 with the former undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, James Buster Douglas. He famously knocked out Mike Tyson, arguably the greatest upset in all of sports history. It was an awesome interview, so go back and check out episode 305 with Buster Douglas. And keep it locked in here to First Class Fatherhood next week. I got three bangers coming your way, including the former number one pick of the 1993 NFL Draft, Drew Bledsoe, who is now very big in the wine industry, he owns his own winery, the Double Back Winery. Also next week, Andrew East, who played some football himself, will be here. He is married to Olympic gold medalist Sean Johnson, and the two of them are very popular on social media. They have been vlogging about their experiences as first-time parents. Don't miss out on that. It was a lot of fun. And follow me on Instagram, at Alec underscore Lace, because I have been knocking down some tremendous interviews lately here. So make sure you follow me on Instagram, at Alec underscore Lace, to find out who all the upcoming guests will be. And as always, guys, please help me spread the word about this podcast to every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show that celebrates fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with legendary boxing trainer Teddy Atlas. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, the summer will be here before you know it. Are you serious about turning your dad bod into a beach bod? Well, former Navy SEAL and professional MMA fighter Mitch Aguiar has designed the products to help you smash your goal. Smashing Greens are an extremely nutrient-dense blend of organic superfoods with no fillers. They are designed to be taken as a daily supplement or as a complete meal replacement. All ingredients were chosen to specifically curb your hunger, maximize your energy, clear your skin, and burn fat. Visit MassiveSupplements.com or hit the link in the show notes and check out all available products, including plant-based multivitamins, smashing beans, organic coffee, protein shakes, power creatine, and more. Smash your greens. Visit MassiveSupplements.com. That's M-A-S-F Supplements.com. Uh, joining me now, First Class Father, Teddy Atlas. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you. Good to be with you. All right, let's start right here. How many kids do you have, and how old are they? I have two children. I have uh, a boy and a girl. My girl is 36, and she's an attorney. guess I can't help but sneak that in, uh, being a proud father. And, um, and my my son is 34, and he works for Oakland Raiders. He's the director of scouting over there. So the only bad thing is he's on the West Coast. 
over there, and my my daughter's close to us. She lives in New Jersey, and we have three grandchildren. My daughter gave us the gift of two grandchildren, a four year, a four month old little girl recently, and a two year and four month old little boy. And my son has a little boy who's one year and nine months. Wow, that's awesome, Teddy. What, what type of uh, sports were your kids into growing up? They went to everything, but um, mostly my son was a very good baseball player, basketball player, and I got him into golf. He was a pretty good golf player. He was on the high school golf team. Um, and he played football. And now that, you know, now of course he's, he's making a living in the NFL. But he he played uh, the other sports. He went further in. He played in high school. The football, he played just uh, pee wee football and all that stuff. But he was a good athlete. And my daughter, my daughter was she played. She ran mostly. Did a little running, uh, track running. She wasn't as much into sports as my son was. Did, did you ever get a chance, Teddy, to coach your son playing the sports, or did you always boy, did you rather step away from that and enjoy it from the sideline? Yeah, I, I got the pleasure, the gift, you know, to be able to. Uh, I tried to make was very cognizant of not being one of those maniac fathers that, uh, you know, you're not eating dinner because you're struck out today. Uh, I did. <laughs> I made sure that that wasn't going to be uh, part of my my uh, makeup with coaching, but I did get to coach him in the little league. Uh, I was one of the assistant coaches on a team that actually won the uh, local championship. So we had a lot of fun with that. That was great. And, you know, it was great being able to to be, to be have that with them, you know, to have that, just to have that, share that relationship of, you know, being just being around them like that and being involved with them playing and competing and having that experience. It was a lot of fun. I also... Was around his basketball. He, as I said, he played well. He played CYO basketball. Then he played high school basketball. So I was able to be around that. I was always at the practices whenever I could. Being in my business, in the boxing business, there were times I had to be away in training camp. There were times I had to be away with ESPN on the road. But whenever I was around, uh, I made sure you know I made sure that I was I was always there for for all the activities I could be for both my kids. Yeah, very cool, Teddy. And you hit on it a little bit just there, but if you could, just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah, well, for the last 23 years, I worked for ESPN. I do the boxing broadcasting, commentating, and now I'm working, doing mostly sports center stuff for the coverage of the big fights, but I did the ringside commentating for ESPN and Friday Night Fights, which started when when I got there. I was there at the genesis of it. Uh, we had an 18-year run with that. And like I said, I've been with ESPN now 23 years. And I also, I trained fighters for 44 years in the business. Uh, I stepped away from training the fighters. I came back probably about a little less than two years ago and was asked to train a fighter. We fought for the world title. Though I think it was the, there's so many titles nowadays. It was the WBC light heavyweight title. We fought for that. We wanted. We were fortunate enough to win the world championship, and uh, so I have one fighter now that I've trained. But I've trained. I've trained many fighters. That's that's what led 
to me getting the job doing the commentating years ago with ESPN as I was a boxing trainer. Yeah, uh, you've had an awesome career, Teddy. I'm a big fan of the fight game, big fan of yours. I've enjoyed watching you over the years. Uh, about, about how old were you, Teddy, when you became a dad for the first time, and how did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? I was 26, I believe. And um, it changes a lot. It makes you, you know, you don't want to just, I don't know, you don't want to, you want to try to be reflective and know that you're saying really, what you felt at the time, but it's hard. It's hard to remember exactly, except that you did know that if you live a life, hopefully you've lived a life of being a sense of responsibility. Now you definitely needed to uh, to up it, you know, to, as what do we say, step it up a little bit. <laughs> so that, you know, you really, you really did understand also a lot of the things that people said to you that, kind of when went over your head sometimes and saying so out there um that you might not have quite connected the meaning or again the the creation of them where they came from and understood uh the significance of them but things like you know now you understand uh you know what's important in life and that there's a new meaning or a different meaning uh to life and when you it's true. I mean, when you when you see something that you help create, such a you know, like the only thing you can say is what people say is true. It's a miracle. When you see that miracle and it's in your hands, you uh, you do you do have a different perspective uh, on things, and uh, things become you become very very uh, appreciative, but you things become more serious also. Uh, in certain ways that you have this responsibility and um, you want to make sure that that you you deal with it the right way. Yeah, very well said, Teddy. One of the things I speak about on my podcast a lot here is that we have a real uh, fatherless crisis going on in our country where too many kids are growing up without a father or a father figure in their life. Uh, do you see a lot of that in, when, when you're in the in the boxing gym? Do you have a lot of the fighters that come in uh, that come from backgrounds that don't have a dad in their life? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because I can see, yes, I see a lot of it in the boxing business, but I see it also in my my other business. And it's not a business, it's a passion. It's a, But it, it's I guess it is, you know, it is a business too, uh, even though I don't get paid for it. Uh, I started doing it 23 years ago. I run a charity foundation, and we, we deal with... Uh, with a lot of, uh, mostly with areas where there's special needs, where there's uh, low-income families and there's, there's a lot of hardships and a lot of problems uh, that are connected to to the poverty levels and just uh, some of the areas where a lot of the people that we're helping with, that we're dealing with, uh, are residing at, coming from. Uh, we're, we're put up, you know, we're going to a, situation where there may be a single mom with uh with three or four kids and there's she doesn't have a program to take care of the proper medical treatment of her one of her children or even a couple of her children we'll step in we'll pay for it we'll fly them out of state if they need to fly out of state to get a different treatment that's not available where they are we'll put handicap ramps on 
you know, quite often the insurance might pay for the surgery, but let's say there was a kid who had a nine-year-old kid I'm thinking of right now that we helped not too long ago, and the surgery was covered and was significant, uh, but the cancer medication of $1,200 a month is not covered. This mom, I mean, it might as well be 12000 a month. She can't cover it. So we'll step in, we'll take care of that, we'll do those kind of things. We also ran, we subsidized three boxing gyms in the New York area. We had three rules, bring a report card uh, to show you in school, pull your pants up at the door, no sagging, respect yourself, respect us, uh, understand that, and uh, bring you, and also we hired a certified teacher to be, and we put a computer room in the gyms where the certified teacher would be there five days a week and tutored the kids. The rule was the kids had to go in one day a week just to see where they were at school. And we subsidized those gyms at the tune of about 100000 a year for 10 years. We just stopped about six months ago, but for 10 years we did that. And, one, and listen, we, we use boxing. I'm not afraid to say that. We use boxing. I'll say it again. Um, to get these kids from point A to point B, to give them direction, to give them discipline, to give them pride in themselves, to give them a reason to care about themselves, quite frankly. And all of these, most of these kids, I don't want percentage, if I had to, I don't know, it could be 80%, but most of these kids that were dealing with didn't have fathers. Uh, fathers were not involved in their lives. Um, in one way or the other. They're either not in a consistent enough way or not at all. And so to answer your question, that's why I took you on this path. I'm sorry if I took you where you didn't want to go. But, uh, yeah, I see it in boxing. But I see it really up close for the last 23 years as I've been running this this charity foundation called the Dr. Atlas Foundation uh, because that's, you know, that's exactly what we're dealing with. We're going to Atlas schools, too. We do what we call a Dr. Atlas incentive program where we'll go into the schools. I'll talk to the kids, you know, in a, in, in like an auditorium setting where we might have 1,100 kids in the school. We might have 700 kids in the school, depending on which school, the population of it. And they're designated as Title I schools in New York. What that means is that the families are making less than $35,000 a year. So there's a lot of problems, a lot of poverty, uh, a lot of problems connected to that. And a lot of them are just outright what they call at-risk schools. And we'll go in there and I'll tell the kids, I'll say, look, you improve this. No matter what's going on in your life, there's one thing you have control of until you give up control of that. That's the choice of how you behave, the choice of who you are, how you represent yourself. If you start caring, I don't really talk about marks, I'll be honest with you. You know, there's a lot of people hearing this. They're going to say, oh, Teddy, come on. You're not talking about marks? Listen, it's it's automatically going to be involved in what I'm talking about. But what I talk about is the control over their behavior, who they are, that that they care about who they are. So I say to them, look, if you guys over the next marking period, eight weeks, you know, whatever it turns out to be, you guys start taking ownership over that, over who you are, how you behave in the hallways, in school, outside school, in the classrooms, You'll be put on a list by your teachers. It'll be recognized. And then at the end of that time, my foundation, we will take you to a Knicks game, to a Nets game, to a Mets game, to a Yankee game, depending on the part of the year. We'll buy the tickets. We'll supply the buses. The only thing we ask the schools to supply the chaperones. You'll get on that list. You'll get to go to a game. You know what? 
It's important. It means we get results. That's all I can tell you. Because it means something. Because it lets the kids know that somebody cares. It gives them a reason to care about how they act. And, that, and a lot of times the reason the kids act that way is because it doesn't matter anymore. It's like it don't matter. There's nobody here that's telling me it matters. So we tell them it does matter. And it's kind of like the privilege we had that, you know, we shouldn't forget. And it's connected to your show, to exactly what you're talking about here, about being a parent, that, that what, what a responsibility, what a privilege it is to be able to be a parent and to understand that, to be able to say to a kid, hey, listen, I know you didn't do too good. Your mom's a little upset. You didn't do too good on your report card this market period. Listen, buddy, let's do better. I'm going to work with you. We're going to do better, okay? And I tell you what, I take it to a Yankee game. Just, just start putting up, a, putting a better effort in there. And you and me, next week we'll go to a Yankee game. How's that sound? And it makes all the difference in the world. You know it. People out there listening know it. That that have had the privilege of having uh, parents that that behaved that way, that that raised them that way, that gave them that kind of love and and support. But these kids don't automatically get that. So in our own way, we give it to them. Yeah, it's incredible what you do, Teddy. And I'll tell you what, I have four kids myself, and I see it just when I isolate time with one of my own kids where like, if I reward them by taking them to a game, and it means the world to them. Like that one-on-one time that I spend with each individual kid, even though we all do things together as a family, when I do give them that isolated time, it really does change the game and give them a lot more motivation. So I can only imagine uh, what you're doing uh, for these kids and how important it is to them. Uh, and in your book, Atlas uh, um, uh, from the Streets to the Ring, I know you talk about the similarities between training and parenting. Uh, what type of disciplinarian were you as a dad, and was it different than the discipline style you grew up with? Well, let me, full disclosure, let me say first, I am a horrible disciplinarian as a grandfather. <laughs> uh, the worst. <laughs> so, so forget about it. The, the worst. I mean, I, but I give my kid, he comes here, my wife just yelled at me earlier, get rid of all these toys in the living room, there's no room <laughs> for furniture, there's no room to sit, there's no room for anything else. But as a father, it was different. As a father, you know, I, uh, I kind of, it's kind of like boxing training. You know, you want to nip it in the bud, in the bud. You don't want to develop bad habits. You don't wait until... The guy gets knocked down in the fight to tell him that his right hand was dropping. You do it in the gym. You don't want to wait to that, so there's a problem, so he loses the fight. You want to do it ahead of time. I kind of took, I know that might sound funny to some people, but that's kind of the path I took, is that, you know, I wanted to recognize things that could be going wrong and correct them and bring them to my son's attention or my daughter's attention before it got to a bad place, before it got out of my hands, before it got out of my house, before it got into a really serious place. So, I, I, and, I, and I did connect boxing to it. I can't help it. Boxing's my life. I think we're all in a fight. It depends what we're fighting for, but we're all in a fight in life, one way or the other. So, you know, I used to, I used to always look at it in that kind of way, where I'd be in the gym teaching a fighter, and I'm telling him what to do, and he still does it wrong. I tell him what he's doing, he still does it wrong. So he throws a punch. They tell him he's got to move his head. He don't move his head. Bang. I hit him. I hit him. Now, do I, do I hit him with a, you know, a devastating punch? No. Enough to let him know that he did something wrong. And then what do I say to the fighter after I do that? I say, listen, I'd rather hit you here and have you corrected 
then somebody else hit you out there. And that's kind of like how I was as a parent. You know, I, I would correct something by, by any way I had to with punishment or by being stern or whatever it was that was effective and that got through to my, my daughter or my son. And then I would say, listen, I want it corrected here because I don't want that to follow you out there. I don't want that to be something that hurts you in a serious way later on. Yeah, very, very well said, Teddy. And you know what, since you've been through this, my youngest is my only girl. She's only five right now. You've been through all this already. How did you kind of handle it when your kids got old enough uh, to hit that dating scene and did you handle it differently with your daughter than your son? Nothing beats an American flag made in the USA, right? Well, how about an American flag made in the USA by veterans out of duty-worn fatigues from all branches of the military? That is exactly what you get with Combat Flags. Combat Flags are handcrafted from duty-worn fatigues and offer a tangible piece of freedom to the American people. Each flag is accompanied by a professionally designed and printed card that tells the story of service of a soldier, marine, airman, sailor, or coastie who wore the fatigues used to make the flag. They are the real deal, Dad, so what are you waiting for? Visit CombatFlags.com and use the promo code FATHER, and First Class Fatherhood listeners will save 10% off their purchase. Veteran-owned, American-made. CombatFlags.com, promo code FATHER. Since you've been through this, my youngest is my only girl. She's only five right now. You've been through all this already. How did you kind of handle it when your kids got old enough uh, to hit that dating scene, and did you handle it differently with your daughter than your son? Yeah, it was different. It was it was different. I'll be honest. That's you know, right or wrong. We I think we grew up in this kind of society where we sometimes we worried a little bit more about our daughters than our sons. But but I, I nipped that. For myself, I nipped, I caught myself with the help of my wife. I caught myself and I realized, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the most important thing here? One at a time, son and daughter. I want my daughter to always be respected. Oh, my God. I, I mean, it would destroy my life. I mean, literally. Where I, I mean, I could, be, I could go to jail if somebody did something wrong to either one of my kids. But to my daughter, in, a, in, that, in the kind of way that we understand, that we worry about when they get to that point where they can go out and they can date and they can do different things, I want her respected at all times. And then I said to myself, I have to make sure that I don't take that for granted with my son. I've got to make sure that he understands that. I've got to make sure that I talk to him, and I did. I really did. And say to him, hey, buddy, listen, Teddy, because he's, he's the third. He's named Teddy after me. I was named, I'm, I'm a junior after my father. And I say, listen, buddy, you've got to always respect women, always respect girls, always be very respectful because you want your daughter respected. You want, you want your mother always respected. So you have to make sure that you always treat women properly, always understand that. And... um. So yeah, I I I I self caught myself. I self medicated myself and made sure that I <laughs> that I understood what I needed uh definitely to understand uh at that time. Yeah, and Teddy getting into uh you know what it is. I know boxing is the biggest part of your life uh, or the you know major part of your working life. And and I know the UFC has become so popular. I had Dana White here on the show and it's just really blown up over the last few years. 
What are your? Do you feel like UFC has kind of taken away from boxing, and is boxing on on a bounce back here as far as popularity with the viewers? I, you know, I think the opposite. Uh, on the first half of the question, I think it it helps boxing. I think that they've done a great job and a better job of marketing than boxing. Boxing doesn't do a good job of marketing itself. It just says we're boxing. We're the 800-pound gorilla. We're the king. We've been around longer than any other sport, including baseball. And you know what? People are just going to come. And it's wrong, but that's it, it survived for 200 years, depending on where you track the genesis of it from, you know, the Greeks or wherever you want to go. But it's been an awful long time. And, again, there there is no national commission. There is no entity in place to promote, to, to merchandise the sport, uh, to properly put the sport forward and and even in the way of rules and enforcement that's one of the things that we suffer from and where dana white he he controls the whole thing he's the he's the man he's able to do that he's able and the nba the nfl the nhl they have national commissions we don't have that in boxing and yeah i wish we did sometimes and it hurts but at the end of the day as far as ufc and the competition of ufc hurting or helping us it hasn't hurt us at all because they have their own fan base. It's a different year. It's yeah, it's a sport that that is tough and can be dangerous, and obviously it's a combat sport like boxing. But it, it's a different sport, and so they have their own crowd. They have their own audience. We have all. They've grown tremendously because of the way they market it. We just continue to be what we continue to be because of the nature of the sport. And because of, if there's a good fight, people come out. And they, and you see it. You see the numbers. You see when Pacquiao and Mayweather fought. Oh, my God, you saw those numbers. Yeah, you saw when it crossed over with McGregor and Mayweather. I mean, when, when you're putting out what people believe is a good fight, a fight they want to see, they're going to come out. They're going to come out for it. And the reason why I don't believe it's hurt is because it's kind of like opening up another restaurant you know, in the in the area where you have a restaurant. You know, it, it just brings more attention. Hey, there's another good restaurant around. You have a choice. But if you have good food, you have a good restaurant, your your people, your clientele is still going to come. And in some ways, it even helps because the UFC has brought attention. It's reminded people that, hey, we do like to see people get in the ring and straighten things out. We do like to see people tested. We do like to see what you are. And what you can be. And we like to watch to see if maybe we can attach ourselves to that in some kind of way and find out whether or not we could be what we want to be when we're under pressure. Could we be that? Could we imagine we could be that? So people are drawn to that. So it just just gives another, it's just like putting up, you know, one of those spotlights when you open up another restaurant in the sky. You look up, you see, you say, hey, let me, let me trace that down. Let me track that down. Let me see where that leads me. Well, when you got the UFC, you remind people, hey, there's a good fight coming up in boxing next week. I'll, I'll be watching that too. So you just bring more attention to the sport in that sort of way. And again, you, you, you have your separate audiences, but it's good. The competition is healthy. Yeah, and Teddy, I think you're 100% right. I mean, the people are there that want to see it, but it's, it comes down to the marketing. And I think we saw just by, like, how that uh, Logan Paul or whatever the other Logan uh, Paul guy was, uh, the way that they marketed themselves, I mean, you could see that the right type of marketing could really bring the audience into the, into the game. Yeah, I mean, listen, again, I'm the first one. I'm a lifer. 
My whole life has been boxing, all right? And But I'll be the first one to tell you that the sport does a horrible job of promoting itself and enforcing itself, holding people accountable sometimes. It does a terrible job because we don't have that that entity, that 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 czar, that national commission, that that's their one job. We have all these different commissions all over the country. Every state has their own. And in some ways, they're influenced by the people making money in the sport. And that's not good. <laughs> I don't have to tell you, that's not good. Yeah. If they have to influence that you're trying to make rules and laws, and the people that make money in your sport can influence that and can be associated with that. No, that obviously that's not the way it's supposed to work. There's supposed to be a separation between church and state. You're not supposed to be able to have a crossover influence in that sort of way. But having said all of that, when you put on good fights, when you put on the fights people want to see, they come out. It's, it's like that movie. Build it, they will come. And, it, yeah. and it's been that way. And it's been that way forever in boxing. You put the right fight on, people are coming. And, and again, they're coming for a myriad of reasons. They're coming to see good competition. They're coming to see athleticism. They're coming to see sometimes somebody get hurt, unfortunately, or if someone could get hurt, the same way as people stop on the highway to see what happened in an accident. And that's unfortunate, but some, that's a part of our DNA sometimes. But they're going to come to see who's the best. They're going to also come to see, as I touched on earlier, what can we do when we're forced to do something? How far can we reach? How deep down can we go? How important is something to us? What do we find out when a difficult question comes to us? Do we come up with the answer? People want to find out. They want to see. And, and they do attach themselves. They attach themselves to wonder. I wonder if I could be stronger. I wonder if I could stand up to my boss. I wonder if I could ask for the raise that my wife has been kicking my butt about that I haven't asked about for the last year. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff, Teddy. And, I, and like you said there, too, you're a lifer. You've been in the game your whole life. What kind of plans or goals do you have here for yourself for the future? Oh, I, I have a podcast that I'm kind of proud of, that, um, that I never thought I'd be doing a podcast, ever, ever. Me neither. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I had a flip phone until not too long ago, right? That's all you need to know. And so I'm a caveman. You know, I, I don't know anything about this sophisticated technology, the social media world, but somebody was good enough to talk me into it, my daughter and a man named Rob Moore, talked me into it and said, hey, um, we, think, we think it could work. We think you have a voice. Uh, in the in the business of boxing, and let's give us a chance to put it out there. So Rob went out there. We put together this podcast. We've been doing it for just about a year, and it's it's about nine million views. Uh, and we we have like close to eighty thousand subscribers. And we we put out one uh, a week ago. Within a week, our episode, our latest episode, got three hundred thousand views. So I I feel. I feel really, really happy about that, and I feel, I feel grateful, grateful that people think that what I say in the sport means something, and they come out, and it's growing and growing and growing, and I just, uh, I also, I also feel that it gives me a chance to, as I said in the first one I did, when my co-host Ken asked me, Teddy, what do you expect out of this? 
you know, of course we're going to talk boxing and all that stuff and all the fights and break it down and everything and the psychology. But I said what I said to you earlier. I said, to me, boxing's my life and boxing is life. And we're all in a fight. And I want to use this podcast to kind of use the sport of boxing to connect the dots in life. So whenever I can, and, you know, there's something going out there and some people maybe, you know, can relate to it that they're having a problem in their life, I try to speak to that. And I try to connect those dots, and I'm having fun at it. And um, so, so that's so that's one of the things. And you know, and of course, my my grandchildren. I'm having a I I just having a lot of fun being around them. You know, I never thought it would feel so 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 good to be called Papa. I mean, I never realized how special that word could be. Hey, Papa, sit down here, Papa. Okay, no problem. Here I am. Yeah, that's awesome, Teddy. And you know what? The, la- the last thing I want to hit, I know you touched on it a little bit here as we were talking, but the last thing I want to hit you with here, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for the new dad or for the about-to-be father who's out there listening? You know, that's an easy one. Take the time to talk to your kids and ask questions. And don't worry about this BS when you hear people say, your father, you're not a friend. To me, that's that's. I think I've done a decent job, and the only way I think that is because my kids are great kids, and they tell me that I did a decent job. And um, so don't listen to that crap when they say you're a father, but you're not a friend. You're you're not a buddy. No, you are a buddy. You are a friend. You're but you're a friend with great responsibility. And talk to your kids. I remember, I remember my son was five years old, and we were living in a building at that time, an apartment building. And we, right outside his window, you could see the playground. And like I said, when I was away, I was away. But when I was home because of my job, I was home. And I could be away for two months in training camp, but then I could be home for two months every day, picking them up to school, taking them to school, going out there and playing in the schoolyard. And I played stickball with them, basketball with them, baseball, wiffle ball, everything. And I was, I was the universal everything. I was the official pitcher and the official quarterback and everything because I just wanted to let it, him be able to play. So when we would get a whole bunch of kids, 20 kids together, 30 kids together, 15 kids together, whatever it was, I would, I'd be the pitcher, I'd be everything, and we'd have teams, we'd have games, and we'd play all day long until it got dark. And he loved it. He loved it. And then sometimes something would, like all kids, they'd do small. And the mom would bring it to my attention. And would say, listen, he can't play today. And it would break my heart. And I remember one day, I, and, and listen, I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted, I'm in the boxing business. I'm supposed to be, you know, something about being tough. But I, I wanted to be able to sneak out of that responsibility and let my wife tell him. But it, you have to be a partner with this stuff. So I had to tell him and it killed me. And he was in his room and I, and he cried, and then all of a sudden got quiet. And instead of just going in where, you know, the inclination is, okay, now you go into the other room and it's done, right? I stayed outside the door, and I just stood there, and I listened. And I heard him talking, and he's talking to himself. And I heard him saying, a lot of people, when they hear this now, they're going to say, my God. And, but I think a lot of people might even, and they might be touched by this, where maybe it'll, it'll strike a chord or it'll connect to something. Because it's not craziness. It's real life. It's real people. It's human. And he was saying, I'm bad. 
I'm bad. And I opened the door. I was, I was, I was almost in tears. I opened the door. I grabbed him. I hugged him. I said, you're not bad, bud. He said, I'm bad. I said, you're not bad at all. You're the greatest kid in the world, the greatest son in the world. You made a little mistake, and, and I just want you to be better. And I just want to make sure that later as you get bigger that you don't make the same mistakes. But, but you didn't do anything wrong. You're the greatest. Don't ever think you're bad. And it scared the crap out of me. And I always, from that day forward, I talked to my wife about it. I said, we can never take for granted how these kids are feeling. That just because we think we did our part and we can walk away, we can have dinner, that they're feeling all, that everything's all. No, you don't know what a kid's feeling. You better find out. You better find out what they're feeling. And obviously, what I'm, without saying it directly, I'm talking about where you hear these terrible things where kids take their lives. And it, 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 again, and you hear about a beautiful family, a beautiful, and you hear about a young kid, and you say, oh, my God, oh, my God, how could that be possible? It's possible. And that's how it's possible, by not listening, by taking for granted that the kid's okay when he might not be, when there might be something going on. Listen. Ask questions. Talk. That's my advice. Yeah, very well said. I, I love the advice, Teddy. This has been an honor for me. i got to say, Teddy Atlas, you're a first-class father all the way, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. It's my pleasure. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. i got to give a special thank you once again to Teddy Atlas for giving me a few minutes of his time here. It was such an honor and a pleasure to speak with him today. Hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. Lock it in next week. Former number one NFL draft pick Drew Bledsoe will be joining me here. Also, a guy that's very big in the vlogging world with his gold medalist wife, Sean Johnson. Andrew East will be joining me here and locking into my Instagram account at Alec underscore Lace to find out all the upcoming guest announcements. I got some great ones on the hopper ready to come at you. So I hope you enjoy your weekend. Stay safe. Stay healthy out there. I hope everybody is uh, learning to adapt with these quarantine times that we're living in here with the coronavirus. Hopefully it'll be all over with soon. If you're looking for some alternative news to listen to or something better to listen to than the news that's just dominated by the pandemic that's going on. Tune it in to First Class Fatherhood. I'm glad to have you aboard here. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please, don't forget, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers.